0: Hello and welcome to Genuine Quest episode 152, I'm your host, Mike Apps, not making a Will Smith joke, aka Wheels, and with me as always, the terror of death, David McCroney, Pamela Master.
1: And uh, your man in Japan, ready to just slap somebody for making a bad meme joke, Michael Baker.
2: Well, Wheels just got owned. Um. Wow. Also, you you got the, the number wrong say, by the right? way, Will.
0: It's one. No, it's one fifty-two. No, two fifty. Fuck. Two fifty-two. Fuck. Fuck.
2: <laughs> you were off by an entire hundred.
0: <laughs> it's fine. It's, this is fine.
1: Oh that that's a first. We'll fix <laughs> we'll fix we'll it in post. Of it.
0: You will not fix it in post. You will, uh, I will not.
2: you will download this audio and do the bare minimum editing. You will not uh, listen to no. the entire thing. I have.
0: This, <laughs> I have this week's episode, next week's episode to get out, and my Destiny Two Witch Queen review to get done before I leave for Florida. So yeah. Wait,
2: you agreed to do a review? What's
0: wrong with you? Because it saved me forty dollars. Wow. <laughs> Also, okay I, I, then. I can feel that, yeah. uh, also, I had the urge to write about Destiny. Of course, you did. Yeah. Ah, I guess that launches us into what we've been
1: playing. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I I just put up the review for Megaton Five last week. Yeah, yeah. I saw some people actually agreeing with me in the the main comments. And That's always a scary like...
2: place to be, isn't it? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. They aren't always I mean... wrong,
2: but it's always scary when they're when they're agreeing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, sometimes. But it's just, just like I said before, once I actually finished exploring the city, there was really nothing left to keep me interested. And the somewhat arbitrary nature of actually being able to defeat any of the later bosses is really annoying. It's like, okay, I'm I'm wailing away. Okay, I'm doing the exact same things over and over again, chipping down the health bar, and then, oh... Okay, they there's this one attack that they will randomly decide to use. It could happen at the halfway point, it could happen earlier, it could happen later, but you're dead.
0: Sweet. Ooh. By which you yeah. mean not sweet.
1: That and... What's her name? Niu Wu, the uh, Chinese um, dragon creation goddess.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, um... For such an important character, and um, she and her partner got almost no explanation for the majority of the game, and then just a bit at the end. Right. Yeah. Look at that. I'm still not really sure where they came from. Hmm. Or why they? I mean, I I know what they were doing and why they wanted to do it. I just didn't know why or how they came to this conclusion in the first place. Mm-hmm. So. And it's not just the fact I was reading this all in Japanese, it was simply there wasn't that much to read. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, what now that you've done with Megatown?
1: Oh, I was digging through um, my stack of Switch games I I still need to actually play. Mm -hmm. And I. well, I came across the game I actually got from Paws two years ago for Edi- uh, for Employee of the Month. <laughs> nice. It was like, I mean, almost exactly two years ago, because I managed to get it delivered to my parents' house in March of
0: 2020.
1: Yeah. That's... Within the one week I was actually there before, oh, okay, we have to emergency evacuate back to Japan before they shut down the borders.
0: Oh, boy. Yeah. That's the time. That, the that was, time. was the time.
1: Yes, it was. That was a bad. Day.
0: I don't remember so that. So anyway, much. I've very well, which probably isn't healthy.
1: Yep, yep.
2: I mean, that's I, I as speaking as someone who's experienced a great deal of stressful months in his life. That's that's pretty much just how your brain tends to react in very stressful periods.
1: Mm. You tend to remember them quite well, for better or for worse. Mm, you either remember them really well or really badly. Either way, it's a symptom of PTSD. Oftentimes, you won't anyway, remember yes, them very well at
2: all, right? Until some, right? Until
1: you remember all of them at once. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the game itself is War Groove.
0: Oh yeah. Oh.
1: Which is, it's been a fun little game. It is very, very obvious exactly which two series the development team have really love. Um,
0: it's like fantasy advanced is, uh, is wars, my... right?
1: This thing is about as close to a 50 50 split between Fire Emblem and Advance Wars as oh. you can possibly imagine. <laughs>
2: so.
1: Very, very much so. Must be They're not just dead.
2: Yep. What a, a poor of Game Boy Wars.
1: No, you do not want to actually have a port of Game Boy Wars because that thing is so slow on the processors.
0: <laughs> Game I mean, Boy Wars de- 1,
2: 2, and 3.
1: Hmm? I tried Game Boy Wars 1 um, original and the like. wait time for getting the AI side to actually make a move or to finish all of its moves was like over five minutes.
2: Oh, that sounds horrible.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it was a very well-built... Um, AI for for a challenge and co- competition. However, it just took too long to actually process everything.
2: Poor, poorly built for the processor.
1: I mean, no, I mean, just the Game Boy wasn't strong enough to do it.
2: That's what I mean. It was not optimized for the processor it's being built for. They knew they were making a yeah. game on a fucking Z eighty. You got to make it work for that. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah. Um, I mean, a remake could fix that, though.
1: (laughs) I mean, if if they're doing a remake, then they're definitely, or they're almost certainly using one of the engines from the later games in the series, which means it will work better.
2: Yeah, there's no remake of Game Boy
1: Wars in the works. As far as I can tell, I was just thinking about the possibility. Uh,
2: Yeah. Nope, just Advance Wars and Black Hole, right? will mm-hmm. come some
1: someday mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah i mean it's it's understandable why they've delayed it though
2: <laughs> no it makes perfect sense it just <laughs> yeah. circumstances being what they are uh, so yeah how is war groove aside from being very obvious in its inspiration
1: oh it's groovy so far i'm enjoying the dog I should
2: have seen that one coming
1: yeah. So I mean it's kind of weird because it's like there's only one named character on the field at, or two, one for each side at any given time, so it's mm-hmm. it's very much like having the command powers and Advance Wars. Yeah. Except those command powers are also very limited in scope compared to Advance Wars. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's like okay, so one character can heal everyone within two spaces of her and another one can um, give an extra move to the four spaces around it, um, things like that, and... It's like, okay, Advance Wars, you can just do that to the entire field. The
2: unimaginable power of being able to heal something adjacent to me. Mm-hmm.
1: No, I mean, it's useful, it's just... I mean, okay, I, I could have done with a little, just a little bit more, but thankfully, thankfully, whoever, or the development team for this has decided not to go to sadistic levels of d- um, difficulty. Mm-hmm. so um, I'm guessing they're not flight plan fans <laughs> no I mean legit every single game I have played that I can identify as inspired by flight plan has been grueling
2: they've got a they've got a setup they've got a type
1: yep it's a strategy games for, made by fans for fans. Of the hardcore stuff. <laughs> so yeah, by fans, four fans can be good, but very often, and at least with the strategy and the uh, um, wizardry stu- wizardry clones, this is not a good sign. Yeah.
2: So. Wheels. What have you been up to?
0: Um, playing Mass of Destiny Two, actually. I considered playing Destiny Three. I would if such a thing existed. You considered making it in your ship? Uh, no. No. Uh, but I did I a dungeon really in Destiny anything. Two, which I actually haven't really done at all. No, they've ha- added some like every expansion, and mm-hmm. uh, they were advertised as, like, mini raids for a party of three, and that's kind of exactly what it is. It's very cool. Uh, so I'm probably going to try and do more of those as time goes along. Uh, I've also been playing more triangle strategy. Which... have been made a fool of again. Uh, yes. Nothing horrific has happened recently, but... So... Uh, a recent choice I had to make um, I chose maybe not the easiest path but a path that felt like okay this is like the honorable thing to do and resulted in okay we won this battle but it kind of ultimately felt like but it didn't accomplish that much (laughs) and everything but the future refused to change oh no the future changed just not for the better the future refused to change So, uh, now I'm curious as to what would have happened if I gone down the other path. Maybe it just gets screwed up in different ways, but... uh, You'll figure it out next playthrough. Yeah. It's a very good game. The battles continue to be very interesting, and the party members it keeps throwing at me are... There's, again, still no repeats. Like, I got another mage, but this one gets like weather-based powers of some sort and I got another healer but this this one just uses healing items but they get like a bonus to how much they heal and they have an ability where they can use two healing items in one turn and they can use I them like at a distance I love the chemist uh, yeah and it's yeah it's really good People need to pay attention to that and see. I mean other than that I've just been plugging along in uh dot hack GU and playing some more Elden Ring on occasion.
2: There's literally something you were saying you weren't gonna talk that you would talk about on the podcast. Oh that's right.
0: The what the hell <laughs> was it? Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, I think? Oh, yes. Duh. So I uh, picked up Tiny Tina's Wonderland last Friday, um, which uh, has been extremely wonderful so far. It feels a lot like the Tiny Tina's expansion uh, from Borderlands 2 and that it's kind of like an adventure taking place you're like playing the tabletop game and everything that's happening is basically like um, How do you how do you describe this? It's characters playing a tabletop game and you're kind of playing out like the actualization of what's going on the table, so you know
2: So what you're saying is that you're a real-life
0: bad dice roll. Yes, and of course random things can happen where you know obviously Tina's crazy, so she can just be like...
1: That, sound, that sounds a lot like a story I would write.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so she can just be like, oh, um, and then there was a dragon and a, a dragon will pop up or something and random shit like that. And yes, before every boss fight, she says roll for initiative. Which I Yay. appreciate. Uh, no. So there's there's lots of that sort of humor and the villain is played by Will Arnett. So it's he's wonderful. And like villains in a lot, Look, of, he and the villains in a lot of the Borderlands games will constantly like chatter at you as you're going through the game, which he does. So that's awesome. Uh, and one of the um, the other characters playing the tabletop game is played by uh, Wanda Sykes, which is huh. also good. And okay. it's, it's just been very funny. And uh, there instead of the boring-ass Borderlands open world that the games usually have, it's like a top-down RPG-style overworld with optional places to go to and random encounters and stuff. But
1: It's been a pleasure no to clap play. Trap.
0: There is no claptrap. There Thank is, God. There is not a trap to be clapped as far as the eye can see.
2: Sounds horrible.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: the phrase "clap to be trapped"
0: just yeah, sounds I, I absolutely know. dreadful. Please, unhap set that. Yeah. So, other than that, I mean, you got you got the Sabbath different type of different types of guns, with weird abilities you can get up that are a little more fantasy themed, and there's magic spells you can get, and instead of like the typical predefined characters you pick and maybe slightly change their hair color or something it's got a full character editor this time so you can pick a class and make your character make your ugly character because i was not really able to make a character that actually looked good and go from there it's good times i blame
2: borderlands being kind of ugly. yeah not in technical sense i just never cared for the other yeah. style
0: No, I understand. Uh, So yeah, it's a fun game. It definitely seems to be a good step forward for the series, even though I don't know that they're actually going to take some of this stuff into the series proper. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I mean, the the lack of the boring overworld especially, I think is wonderful. And I really hope I think about that. Because I mean, the core of Borderlands is cool guns and using said cool guns and getting more cool guns and driving around a boring mostly empty open area is not to the serious benefit. And hopefully someone realizes that. Yeah. That's it. That's all I have to say.
2: it's <laughs> no, very good. I wish it was on Switch. It this not. I can see why, though. Yeah. That could be kind of a challenge. But, yeah. Uh I've been playing Uh, It's throwing me directly into, like, a weird sort of mania that is probably not a healthy way to live one's life. But, you know, here we are. Uh, I... I am currently in the process of 100%ing the first volume so they can feel fine moving on to the second volume. There's no reason to do that. You shouldn't do that. But I'm broken, so here we are. Um, but in, in general, uh, like these games were. like The reason that all of this like, end game content exists as it does is because these games were. Uh, released like three or four months apart so someone could finish the game and be like well, I've still got things to do here until part two comes out so I'll just do all these side quests and these collection quests and all this shit. And like if you aren't in that position, there's no particular reason to do all these but, you know, broken in the head. But yeah, I finished Volume 1's main plot a while ago. Uh, I have done all the bounty hunting side quests, I filled out the vast majority of the Ryu books, which require you to uh, fight every kind of enemy. They require you to uh, find every kind of weapon item. Just all these complicated ass, uh, like, just completionist shit, like that kind of thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm neck deep in that, which not not the best use of anyone's time, but here I am. Uh, doing it, and having having a pretty good time. Uh, and while I play the game, uh, kind of... I've been trying to brainstorm how to essentially write for the Patreon, how to write like a sort of primer for connections that make the games more interesting, but which the games do not... are not forthright about telling you about. Hmm. And every time I start doing that, I realize I like, like every time I start hitting like a script of points I would want to hit, I realize, oh my god, I am now describing connections between like twelve different books, anime shows, movies, whatever, and like, uh, so I'm I, like I was. To put this in perspective, uh, I, was, I realized immediately, well, I'm just going to have to split this into multiple posts because I, I can't write a concise version of any of this. So I was like, okay, what is something that will enrich the experience of playing GU, but which is not is something that the game is not forthright about all the connections of? And I thought, well, there's something I've talked about on the podcast. Wars, uh there's fucking haseo's connection to the prior series and so it's like okay i guess i would just i'll, I'll write a post called the terror of death and it's going to be about like his history from dot hack sign all the way through dot hack gu uh without actually spoiling his like arc in gu and even that is like every time i try to sit down and describe what that is it's like well now i need to explain what the fuck he's doing in sign and that requires explaining a bunch of sign and spoiling its ending <laughs> then i have to explain what's going like what he's up to in the first four games because he is a central figure in that even though it's not obvious and then it just it's such a complicated thing Re- like i I'm battling with like how to do this. I was thinking like well half the party members are like that, so I guess I can do one for Sieg slash Koon, who is one of the other primary party members, who is running around through the background of a lot of the other material as well. But, yeah, and then and then eventually it's just like, Well am I gonna have to like be a human wiki and try to describe the plot of like the major animes and the games? It's like I don't know I, I i'm basically what i'm saying is my obsession has gone uh, right back into hyperdrive and i'm trying to plan out a series that's going to end up being like six or seven posts so that's a uh, that's a healthy way to live your life isn't it yeah <laughs> someone has to someone has to sit there and explain to you dot hack gift a uh bonus joke episode of the first anime that assumed you had read, already played all four games <laughs> uh yeah. where the where half the joke is how many character designs were recycled from the first from the anime and first four games across the both of them like there is like i i don't know how to describe it uh like,
1: so I think I think discretion is the better part of valor here.
2: <laughs> All I'm saying is there is an entire joke about some like the entire thing that starts this ent- this joke OVA off is that one of that one character is found dead, and no one can agree on who it is because it looks like at least two or three other characters. <laughs> So that's fun. Uh, but yeah, like it's 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 a lot so, and you know there's definitely more ancillary materials that I don't feel I'll ever need to touch on like dot hack 4x that I've read but it's not actually that worthwhile unless you're just really bored. But there's also just a lot to keep track. So I want to I want to make it easier to do that than uh, trawling through a wiki that hasn't been updated since 2014 so here we go hopefully those go up sometime over the course of the next few weeks but yeah um yeah it's just I guess I guess the thing that I can uh I've I've at least come down on uh, what counts as the main Dot Hack material, and it's whatever Kazunori Ito was uh, the writer of, <laughs> <laughs> because he did the first. He was the writer on the first anime. He was the writer on the OVAs that came with the first four games. He's the writer of the first four games. He's the writer of Gift, the joke OVA I just talked about. He was the writer of Roots, which is the prequel to the GU games, and he was the writer of GU games. So, yeah, he's he is kind of... In as much as a sprawling, strange work as the hack has, an authorial thumbprint, he is the author of the
1: hack. Hmm. Yeah. Never
2: let
1: the uh, steal that
0: down
2: place. to the fact that the... Uh, that he wrote the weird poem that is somehow at the centerpiece of essentially the entire series of mythology. I guess that needs to be its own. Mm. That needs to be its own post as well. Never mind, okay, but yeah, having a good time playing GU, uh, obsessively attempting to uh, complete it, I have a lot of small animals to kick. Because that's a side quest <laughs> for some reason. But yeah. So, yeah. Uh, we do have some news to bring up. Uh, mostly, mostly to dogpile on, but you know. So.
1: Wonderful words.
2: So, did you hear about Sony's online plan? Oh boy. So Sony made some changes to its online plan. They uh. Yeah, they seem to want to move into the same space as Microsoft had with Game Pass, where it's like our online plan is also the uh, key to like a giant library of uh, like games that you can play on your system. But it's maybe not a good value proposition, so maybe we shouldn't have positioned, put this in a position where it seems like a direct competitor to Game Pass. It's not so great. basically they... It's not a good comparison for them. Yeah, like, that's not a healthy place for them to be. So they have... So, basically, PlayStation Plus is now split into three tiers. There's the existing uh, PlayStation Plus. It's now being called Essential, and it's basically, like, you get uh, fewer games per month than I remembered there being, but still, yeah, I guess it's two a month now. I don't know how long that's been the case, but... I feel like it used to be more. Uh, but yeah, you get that. That's 60 bucks a year or $10 a month. You may notice you should not be getting that monthly.
0: Uh, wow, that's that's a ripoff. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, that's
2: extremely bad. <laughs> wow. Uh, but yeah, that gives you the basic PS Plus thing you can play online and all that shit. Then there's the weird middle child, PS Plus Extra. I don't know why they made this three tiers. That was a confusing choice. Uh, The official ad copy says, adds a catalog of up to 400, asterisk, of the most enjoyable PS4 and PS5 games, including blockbuster hits from our PlayStation Studios catalog and third-party partners. None of these will be new. They've made it very clear... uh, Sony president Jim Sony Computer Interactive Entertainment president Jim Ryan's, uh, when asked about whether games might launch day and date like they do on Xbox Game Pass, his response was, "No, that might hurt our games," and that very ambiguous phrase makes it very clear that he means that will hurt their sales. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, the it's like the number they they gave no. Uh, it should be noted that for any of these, they gave numbers. They gave no specific titles for any of these. Uh, presumably, all the old PS4 games. They don't think they can sell that many copies of anymore. Mostly, what you're going to be getting.
0: Uh, which Yay, I you mean, get Gran Turismo Six.
2: I mean, that's better than getting Gran Turismo Seven. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, what I was going to say was. Uh, the weirder thing about this is, this was a this was a feature of PlayStation Plus that I think is just going away now. Like, in case anyone forgot, when PS Five launched, there was like the instant collection for people yeah. with PS Plus. It was like, hey, you get the you can download all these old
0: PS Four games. You can get Persona Five. No, not Royal. Rudala. Yeah,
2: that was ridiculous. That was truly ridiculous. But yeah, like it, it's one of those weird things where it's like, okay, and like seemingly without comment, like this seems to imply that that the PS4 instant collection shit is just out of the base tier and is now being charged for separately. Oh great. That's a hundred dollars a year. Or fifteen dollars monthly. Uh which means that somehow getting that uh Monthly is even more of a sucker's bet? Extremely strange. And then there's the one that should theoretically be interesting, but honestly doesn't sound very interesting. You got PlayStation Plus Premium, uh, which gives you everything you got from the Extra, but also up to 340 additional games. That's an extremely strange number. I don't know how you get up to that number. I I have a hundred thousand questions for what on earth happened, where they made up such a three, strangely three specific, three? <laughs> such a strangely specific number, but also wouldn't commit to that number. <laughs> like you pulled out 340 and said up to like, at that point, just say, you know, like you need to pick one of those. It's like 340 games are up to, like like who knows god knows how many but like not that number like it's such a weird it's weirdly specific whatever but the thing (laughs) that's supposed to make this interesting is a catalog of beloved classic video games uh, available in both streaming and download options from the original PS1 PS2 and PSP as well as ps3 games available via cloud streaming they have this is just playstation plus except that they are trying to fold it not playstation plus this playstation now except they're trying to fold it into a service people actually use um but uh also worthy of note up to 340 split across four systems is really stingy Mm -hmm. four systems with massive libraries like, if, if it was, like, up to 340 PS1 and PS2 games, I would still be, like, I feel like I could fill that out and still be missing things I cared about. When it's also including PSP and PS3 games, like, you're going to be missing a lot of what you would actually want to play from the system. And of course, none of the like, none of this will extend to being able to actually insert a disc and play these old games. You're like, your host, You don't get it. Like, cannot play any of your old discs. They're useless. They're paperweights now. Uh, I don't know what human being would choose to stream a PS One game. <laughs> In 2022, rather than download it, I don't know why that option is even offered.
0: That's pretty stupid. That idea I know, th-
1: I know sh- a couple of old I know a couple of defunct IPs that I can actually play over the internet at this point.
2: Yeah, but it's one of those things like they offer you streaming and downloading of PS1 games. There is no universe where that proposition makes any sense to do anything other than download. I'm very confused by that. Uh, but yeah, like, that means that you're gonna get maybe 70 PS1 games. Uh, they're not going... it. That's, you know, that's a fair number of games. It is not nearly... It, knowing what games Sony actually owns the rights to and is willing to go out of their way to get, you're probably gonna get uh, some Final Fantasy games you can already get on everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're probably going to get, uh, a bunch of sony's old stuff some of that comes out occasionally some of it doesn't like i'll bet you dollars to donuts parappa is on there even though that's also available on psp and ps4 and like other things. but you know it's, it's gonna be whatever they whatever they have lying around um you're gonna get probably twisted metal and wonder why they bothered but you know it's it's one of those things like when you have when you only are promising like 70 80 games per system like that is a lot of games but it's also like it's a lot of it's an it's an a lot that allows sony to just say yeah we're just going to deal with stuff we don't have to think about licensing and that's usually stuff that is either one not terribly desirable or two uh not very hard to get like wheels made the joke about grand Turismo six you're not going to get those old grand Turismo's i don't think because the car licensing yeah Unless they were like yeah. planning for this during the car licensing of Gran Turismo Seven, they they're not going to put those out there. Especially not something like Gran Turismo Four. It's going to make Gran Turismo 7's
1: car lineup look paltry.
2: Like, or, yeah, you, <laughs> hmm?
1: yeah, because it is paltry.
2: Yeah, like comparatively, you're you're going to be looking at like a game with like 200 cars that's asking you to like buy all of them with microtransactions versus a PS2 game that has like 1100. Like just ungodly numbers. But yeah. And this bizarre service is now a hundred and twenty dollars yearly. Or eighteen dollars a month. Like each of these, like getting them monthly becomes an even less sane proposition. Uh but yeah, like this is this is one of those things where like people knew this was coming for a while. And that meant that they needed to produce a service that was extremely compelling to not look ridiculous.
1: Mm-hmm. Not accomplished.
2: Yeah, no No dice there, no luck. This is not a very compelling-sounding service. They've essentially split out one of the old PS Plus ben, uh, benefits that no one used and are charging extra for it and are adding a paltry sum of whatever games are both easy to emulate and not uh, difficult to get hold of licensing for. And, uh... Dropping them on there and charging an extra 60 bucks for it. So that's, you know... Non-ideal. Uh, there, there still exists the chance that they surprise me. Uh, or at least that there's something funny on there, like, uh... I don't know. Uh, Okage Shadow King. I'd get mm-hmm. check a chuckle out of that being made available again. Mm-hmm.
0: But...
2: Uh yeah I, I don't have I I'm not interested in these services at this time. Uh, but yeah, uh, but yeah, these are yeah this this is a very strange thing to make a big announcement about. It's a bit regrettable. Uh, let's see. Also, hi Sky Ninja and Budai. Hello. Uh, let But yeah, that, that was the biggest news that happened this week. I know it's about the only news that happened this week. Uh, unless I'm forgetting something. But I don't think I am, so... We're, we're gonna call it and move on to questions. Uh, there's nothing in the...
1: Oh. I was going to say, there was one th- more thing next week for me.
2: Oh, do tell. Oh, dogs.
1: Well, um, at, well next Friday, uh, um, April 8th, which, if we use Japanese number slang, translates as Shiba, as in the dog. As in Man's Best good. Uh, man's best Kick-Ass Good Boy, uh, Pochi, from Metal Max. So, they've chosen that day for Metal Dogs official release. Sweet. Yeah, and I mean, I've had the early access on Steam since last October, but since they have yet to actually fix the controller issues, I can't really play it the way it's supposed to be played, and also it's got massive slowdown for me. So I was like, also, I you have get that I'm
2: excellent playing. cover that it seems
1: to have. Yeah. So, I was like, okay, I'm getting that for Switch. Why duh, not?
2: Duh. Dog, dog, dog. Woof, woof. Strongest of dogs, the metal dogs. Hopefully it's better than Zeno Reborn.
1: I mean, I can already tell you it is. I mean, it's just, it's a, uh, it's basically a roguelike. Sweet. And you're running around as a dog with a machine gun and a rocket launcher.
0: Yeah, I'll take it. Good. I'll take 12 copies, please. Thank you. And it is still
1: better than Metal Max Xenor Reborn.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I guess the real question is: Is Metal Max
0: Wild West going to be better? <laughs> Probably not. Let's be honest.
1: Yeah, I'm still going to buy it anyway. I know. Well, Someone just, has
2: to.
0: Just like when Xenor Reborn comes out in English, I'm going to buy it anyway. Just the support them
2: forgot they actually announced Xena Reborn for an English release.
0: It wasn't, it's not even the I same publisher. The it's not yeah. the same publisher.
2: <laughs> so, Nisa nice gave up. Yeah. yeah. Let me check this, this was like last year that it was announced. Oh yeah, P-Cube. Yeah. Which is like the, the step down in terms of budget usually. Uh, I mean, good on them for at least trying. I wish the game were better, but
0: Uh, they're the new publishing random shit.
2: Uh... Budai says he's going to attempt to finish the Dusk Adalir series. That's a lot of game, but I respect
0: it. I'm working on (laughs) that as well.
1: Good games. Oh yeah, very. But also, it's a lot of games. Yeah. (sighs) I need to finish those before playing Sophie too. Which I mean, you don't actually have to worry since they don't have a plot connection at all. But yeah. Yeah, but I I, I I need to needs needs to do it. Yeah. Just don't burn out on the series while you're doing this. I won't.
0: I was gonna try and play all three last year, and instead just played one, a which probably um, probably worked out for the better. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. Looking at our, looking at the Discord, got a question from Doomerang: Would you want to live in Fire Emblem land, where people just naturally have green, things and blue hair? Sure, why not?
1: I'd much rather live in Atelier land where people have the exact same strange hair colors and it's much less dangerous for civilians.
2: Also fair. But, yeah. You know, who doesn't like candy-colored hair? (laughs) It's Wheels. Wheels doesn't like candy-colored
0: hair. I like candy-colored hair. (laughs) (laughs) Uh.
2: Yeah. And then there was a question that uh, Gaijin already answered, but that everyone who is now paying attention to the Discord gets to know the answer to this. Is Adelie or Sophie's Choose Combat more of the turn based previous series games? It doesn't call the more actiony Rise games?
1: It's much closer to the Dusk games.
0: Yay. Which is a good place to be.
1: But much, much closer. I mean, I remember when I reviewed Sophie 1, one of the major things I put on the score was the fact that. The battle system in that game was a step down from the uh, from the Dusk games, because hmm. they did not have any assists or anything else. <laughs> so, um, and one of the things I dinged Ryza games for was the fact that it has all these cool moves that you almost never get to see in use because it takes so long to build up your tactics <sighs> level. <laughs> Which I mean, for the for the big long battles, it's really cool because you. I mean, some of the like the final boss battle, you can get in two or three like final hit blows. Uh, like the super attacks easily just because the way the battle goes but you're not going to see most of those outside of the really big battles and um, Sophie too apparently they just listened to all the criticisms, said okay we'll find ways of letting you use them and so so like um there, there is a gauge that you need to build up to be able to use assists for defense or attacking but um first it's fairly easy to raise that especially when you get access to weapons with multiple attack abilities Mm. and also a couple passive abilities just let you start with two or three uh, points on that gauge it's fun Mm. and um, by using an assist um, like an attack assist you like reduce all MP costs by 10. So your basic special abilities are actually free whenever you're doing this. Nice. That's pretty good. And then the um, the super attacks use a different gauge that goes up every time you use an assist or whatever, but that gauge persists between battles, <laughs> which is a, which is nice because you can go into a battle with 100 percent on this gauge and just unleash something. It's good.
2: Hmm. Let's see. Uh, okay. So... With those out of the way, it is on to the big bag of questions. Thanks once again to Fireminer for giving us fuel for the long winter. Let's see. Um... Uh, Number 147. Is it just me, or does it feel like pure, solidly identifiable RPG is Still a relatively niche genre. Well, almost everything big nowadays has some RPG elements. RPG elements make a game sticky. Uh, whereas, and so, like, they naturally infect anything that people want, uh, that publishers want people coming back to over and over and over, which is why they've, uh, over the past decade and a half become uh, a requirement for every form of shooter imaginable that play- is primarily an online game. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it depends also on what you count as a solidly identifiable RPG. If you're talking about things that have uh, essentially uh, strictly turn-based, yeah, those are pretty niche. Uh, but I think action RPGs are pretty big, about as big as anything at this stage. Uh, yeah, I mean... It's... Uh, as much as you, I, or anyone else on this site might love turn-based RPGs, it kind of has to be admitted they aren't, uh... They aren't as big as action RPGs at this point, so... hmm uh, Money... money goes where my rosemary grows. Let's see... But, uh, yeah. Uh, otherwise you end up with like we, we could go further down this and just say uh, and just uh, go into like how what counts as solidly identifiable RPG is uh, debatable to begin with but if we just say like if we think of them as old school turn based uh, RPGs then yeah like those are still relatively rich. Just not to say it's a small niche, it's certainly a niche worth catering to if you understand what your budget is, I mean, that's how Team Asano keeps going on, Uh, even among a big publisher, if you're just making a game that's only supposed to sell a million copies, I say only as though that's not an impressive number, but, you know, to make a game that's going to be considered to have done quite well at a million copies, you know, you can certainly... There are definitely enough turn-based RPG fans to sell to that, too. Like, being a niche is not necessarily a proof of no chance of, like, uh, being a wildly successful part of the market. You just have to... It's... Being niche is about calibrating corporate expectations.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's the hardest part sometimes.
2: Yeah. Companies... Companies are very enthralled by the concept of eternal growth. But... Even for the most successful of things, there is a natural market cap that needs that will eventually be found.
1: I tend to forget that um, that unlimited exponential growth is how you get cancer.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, moving to a related question, one forty-eight. That said, back when FF7 first came out, do you remember how many people picked it up because they had already been RPG fans? How many became... Uh, and how many because every friend of theirs played it? How many of said. them
1: because of the really nice commercials that they put on TV that showed only the cut <laughs> And go, yeah. And um, I, remember, I specifically remember this commercial going on about um, basically like it was a cinematic experience except in, or the pull quote at the end, you could always hit the reset button.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was... I mean, FF7, even within game, like references the concept of it being cinematic. Just, like... I I always think about the fact the Game Over screen is a broken film reel. Like, they were very proud of the uh, movie-like aspirations they have. But, uh... But, yeah. Uh... I mean, like, certainly... FF7 is the thing that made me not just someone who had played RPGs, but an RPG fan, so I can't speak to... Uh, I, I was one of the people that was pulled in because their friends were playing it. So... What about you, Wheels and Gaijin? You were more cognizant at the time.
1: <laughs> I mean, oh, I, I've i been aware of Final Fantasy for a couple years before that, it's just... It yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, cool. It's more
2: just, do you Same. remember people like that? <laughs>
1: Yeah, and some of them were in my Boy Scout group. So we had some fun things to talk about.
2: (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah, I mean, it was was a huge game. Uh, I forget what it ended up selling by the end of the PS1's lifespan. I want to say something like 10 million units. Which was... Like at the time, now is still an impressive number. At the time, it was a frankly unheard of number. I think only Gran Turismo 1 sold it on the PS1 and only just barely. Jeez.
1: I was going to say, that was, I mean, we've discussed how or when and oh, exactly what time the PS1 started giving good games, and it was right yeah. around the time Final Fantasy 7 started. Um, so you can really say that it kicked off the PlayStation's golden period. Yeah. and also the golden age of JRPGs for that generation.
2: Pretty much. I'm trying to get an idea of how much this thing actually sold. I'm seeing like all sorts of numbers tossed around when I'm just like looking through sources and it's just like, let's see. Uh, I know, these are, no, okay. Best-selling video game of 1997. By 1998, it had sold more than 6 million copies, so in its first year. Uh, by 1999, it had sold an additional like 1.24 million copies. By the sunset of the PS1, just on the PS1, it had sold 9.34 million copies. And on PC, it sold at least another 1 or 2 million. Uh, Back when, like, that that initial, like, triangular box IDOS version. Uh, So yeah, about 10 million units in its day. Uh, It's just kind of an inescapable sort of video game at the time. Yep.
1: Uh,
2: Let's see. Uh, to, To go back to the original question. Yeah, I mean, like, just, just by dint of that, like the vast majority of the people playing it had not played, uh, the vast majority of Western audiences playing it had not played a lot of Final Fantasy RPGs in general before then. It's just, just by how the numbers shake out, we can assume that. Uh, uh, this leads to the follow-up question. Uh, how many people return for FF8 and 9? Uh, and is it true that only FF fans like 9? Uh, I mean, certainly those are generally the people most fond of 9, but I mean, FF8 sells about 1 or 2 million less, which is, you know, a, a clear decline, but at the same time not a precipitous one. Like, a lot of people came back.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, That's
1: actually a really good repeat customer base there
2: yeah especially when you're like dealing with so many
1: new customers yeah new to the genre customers even
2: yeah like by the end of the ps1's lifetime it had sold 8.15 million units on uh, on the ps1 so like you know it's only dropping like one and a half million units uh and you know like game over game over game when you've had such a like tremendous success the last game uh that like really involved a lot of people experiencing it for the first time to only lose like 10% of your customers is like wild mm-hmm. uh
1: and that is right. dream levels of customer base retention
2: yeah And let's see if I can get an idea on FF9. Uh, FF9 is also tempered by the fact that it came out after the PS2 in Japan, which was very much a... uh, It very much definitely chilled the amount that... Like, people, people had... Not totally moved on, because, I mean, you couldn't get PS2s at the time, but people had definitely, like, set their sights on, they were more interested in what Final Fantasy would look like on PS2. Mm So, like, I think the original PlayStation version of FF9, as the black sheep here, sold five and a half million copies. Which is a a much sharper decline, but given the context, makes a fair amount of sense.
1: Uh, yeah, that was my first actual PlayStation game to own. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, um, I got a, a P, one of the little one of those little or small model PSXs for Christmas mm-hmm. that year.
2: Oh, the and, the PS1s.
1: Yeah, the PS1s, and I got Final Fantasy IX with it. I mean, I played Seven PC version. Yeah. I hadn't, um, hadn't done Eight yet. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, And, yeah, looking at, like... You you see something much more in line when you look at uh, FF10, which people are interested in what Final Fantasy looks like on PS2, and that one shoots right back up to, like, eight and a half million copies on the PS2 by itself. Mm -hmm. Not counting any of its re-releases. So, yeah. Uh, There's a remarkable amount of people who were like, no, I like this, I want to keep doing this. It was... Not just, like, FF7 is definitely the most successful, but it was hardly a flash in the pan. Uh, let's see,
0: That's why we have Legend of Dragon fans.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, Budai's got a couple questions in the chat. What is everyone's opinion on the 3D Ninja Gaiden games? I think I'm the one with the strongest one, and that is uh, Ninja Gaiden Black is one of the best action games ever created. Ninja Gaiden 2 is great, but incomplete, and the rest are just Dog shit.
0: <laughs> the second version of Ninja Gaiden 3 is acceptable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Do not play the original version of Ninja Gaiden 3.
2: Steel on Bone. I feel like I could write like a ten thousand word essay on how that's one of the most ill-conceived mechanics that any video games ever had. It's <laughs> like this weird reverse risk reward system. But, uh, uh, yeah. God, it's, it's just like, if you press the attack button when your enemy tries to grab you, you instantly kill them. It's like, that's the reverse of a risk-reward system. The enemy is the one making an interesting decision there and failing. <laughs> you are continuing to do exactly what you were doing before. Um, and this one is right down the center of the... Right down the center for wheels. What's a bigger game, Destiny 3 or the
0: next Halo? Uh, I don't think there will be a Destiny 3.
2: Presuming that there was one, though. Uh,
0: uh, I, 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 <laughs> no, I'm not going to presume there is, there is going to be one. No, was, I'm just saying for the hypothetical. Uh, I refuse to hypothetically say that they're just going to make a whole new live service game. To replace the current one again when they're no longer under the auspices of activision i just don't it's not going to happen then you the refuse next... to deal in hypotheticals yes
2: my answer would be that it would be uh hard to recreate that even if they wanted to and the uh, uh a destiny 3 would probably result in diminishing returns so yeah, exactly i i would suspect that there is Probably more of an expectant audience for a sequel to Halo Infinite than there is
0: for a Destiny 3. Uh, I don't... Mean... I mean, Halo Infinite got great responses early on, and the multiplayer segment has stagnated to an extreme deal. Like Fair enough. There's been no updates whatsoever. And in Fair this marketplace for that sort of multiplayer shooter, that's not good. Uh, so At the
2: same time, my my point is more it's not a question of quality. It is one of when a live service game gets replaced, that's the easiest jumping off point that anyone has. Yeah. Sure. And I'm not sure how much you're going to get people who have spent a lot of time investing in destiny one and destiny two uh, who'd like already know what it was like to move from destiny one to destiny two and lose yeah. a ton of shit to then move to a destiny three, which speaks more to your, this is why they won't bother. Yeah. <laughs> Let's
0: see. And like for a comparison for what they should have done, I would say, look at how Fortnite does major updates to their systems they don't get rid of your stuff and like make a complete new game no they update the engine and all your stuff is still there and there's new features and stuff but it's not framed as a totally new release i mean
2: that's also put down to like Fortnite was seemingly built yeah. with a greater degree of extensibility to sure. it
0: but honestly i think that's should be the model for both these games like halo i know people love the campaigns but the multiplayer is huge and should be bigger than it is and it should be built like that not on releases it should be free to play and they should be constantly updating and changing it and that, that's, that's the only way they're going to compete in this the multiplayer landscape anyway. Mm. So m- my answer is neither should get a sequel. They sh- <laughs> That is my answer.
2: So you're saying Halo Infinite should be the infinite
0: Halo. Yes, exactly. Halo Infinite should be a live service game. If they want to do more Enemy. campaigns. Aren't
2: they going to split off the multiplayer and
0: turn it into a live service anyway? <laughs> I, I think so. They should.
2: Yeah. Um. uh, God. uh, uh random, one for...
0: random aside for live service games. Oh. Uh, did you know that Warframe is on, almost ten years old?
2: Yeah. I feel old. Motherfucker, people were playing that when the PS4 launched, like eight years ago, nine years ago.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's right. But it wasn't. It was like just an arena shooter when it first came out forgot about that. That game has a long, weird history.
2: Yeah, especially because it started as like some other, like, it was some form of the game that had previously been Dark Sector, like they... Yeah. Like it was conceived during that game's development. It's been, yeah. it's been everywhere.
0: I fired that up on Switch recently. I have no idea how, how they make it run. <laughs>
2: Uh, panic button's very impressive.
0: Yeah, no, seriously. Mad, mad props.
2: Never forget that Panic Button made some sort of change to how it was like hit calculations were done that was such, a, such an improvement on efficiency that it got backported into the other versions.
1: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's a compliment there.
2: Yeah. But let's see. Uh... Question 150. If an RPG with an earnest plotline like Lunar or Lufia comes out nowadays, do you think uh, you'd have to be an RPG fan to enjoy it? I always have this feeling that non-RPG fans would just say, hey, this is too cliche. Stop playing the hypothetical game. Those people don't know what uh, an RPG cliche is, and they're going to be more concerned by fantasy cliches. Like the expectation of what cliche is rather than what actual cliche is. Sorry, you were saying Gaijin?
1: No, I was just agreeing with you.
2: Yeah, like, there, you know, like, people who don't play RPGs do not have an idea of what they think an RPG cliche is that has, that is often perhaps years out of date or Mm -hmm. uh, never had much to do with the genre at all. But, uh, and so, I don't, like, I, I think that. You know, you you list off, like, Lufia or uh, Lunar, you run into things that, like, you need to convince people that uh, it's interesting despite or perhaps because of its uh, adherence to general fantasy cliches, which certainly Lunar especially is adhering to very specific, like, old fantasy tropes. But...
1: uh and this is getting right up there with complaining about Lord of the Rings for being too fantasy. <laughs> True. Yeah.
2: They're, Which they're, I have some really...
1: people do. Uh, um,
2: it's hard for a modern audience to a read it,
1: right? Complete lack of a um, lot of things. But yeah.
2: Yeah. But yeah, I think, I think that you could certainly market a more uh, fantasy... Like, like, fantasy has come back to some extent over the past few years. It's just been how we've dressed it up. Like, people have fallen more into low low and dark fantasy the past few, uh, over the past decade or so. So, you know, like, those kinds of, like, if you dress up an RPG uh, with the right aesthetic to fantasy you can certainly sell it to people who aren't necessarily already fans of the genre. And heck, if you just want to draw in the fantasy fans who maybe don't play that many RPGs, you can just play that to the health and you'll find an audience. But mainstream is such a broad target and such an arbitrary one at that. Like, you know, why Game of Thrones get big. It was, it was very, very uh, expensive, very, very marketed. And, uh, very, very assured you that it was not for children.
0: I remember when Lost was big? Yeah, yeah
2: for about six months there. <laughs> uh, what a time to be alive. Uh, yeah, like... what What is big and mainstream is arbitrary and often has a lot to do with a... Bizarre core of human beings who have who are very very insecure about uh, what is entertainment fit for adults. So, I mean, there's some history
1: of comic books in America.
2: History of comic books, cartoons, like anything that deals in like heavy like fantasy or science fiction tropes those sorts of things there's all sorts of things where like yeah the, the way to try to convince people that those are for adults now is to make them very very dour and very very grim violent and, and horny
1: <laughs> grim and dark grim and dark pretty much
2: in the grim darkness of the far future there
0: is only war <laughs> uh.
1: talking about warhammer now I mean that. I mean, you remember the the t- like. I just remember the title I gave to my metal mix Zeno um, impression, the first one. It was simply heavy, grim metal, dark. <laughs> like that's the best descriptor I could give for it. Is like somebody's trying way too hard here. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's
2: see. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's that's really going to be the bigger issue. Is just those games are relatively happy, and <laughs> that's that's going to be the bigger thing that draws people away—not the RPG clichés, but the fantasy concerns.
1: Yeah, uh, like I'm—I'm I'm just imagining trying to introduce a Game of Thrones fan to Grandia.
2: So I assume Justin's going to be killed so replaced with a larger with a with a large man with a sad and complicated family tree. Just
0: have the Game of Thrones fans play triangle strategy and then gradually give them more and more tropes and they'll be they'll fit right in.
1: Wean them off the grim in the dark.
0: Yeah, I mean not that triangle strategy is necessarily a grim dark I mean But it's a good bridge over.
2: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Okay. Uh, Let's hit a couple more. Uh, 151. On the other hand, feels to me like the reason people not into RPGs like Mario RPGs so much is because they aren't written like Last Jedi. uh, Okay, maybe except the original SNES one. I mean, they kind of are written like normal RPGs. You run into
1: like you look at the
2: plot of Thousand Year Door. That is a
1: cliche ass
2: RPG storyline. Like it's goofy, oh, yeah. but
1: it's the. Pre- I think he's talking about the presentation being a little odd at times.
2: Yeah, like it's it's definitely like goofy and lighthearted,
1: but you know,
2: if you drill down into what the the tropes of the story are, it's raw cliche.
1: Massively, um, massively.
2: And, like, that's part of the joke sometimes, but at the same time, like, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things, like, it, presentation is really what people are averse to. Like, people like that Goofy Mario presentation that uh, comforts them. It draws in people who would think that a thing that is just RPG, fantasy-looking RPG is not for them. But, you know, that, that sort of thing, when you get down to it, like, Cliches are all there; they're just dressed up differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's see, one fifty-two. Why is it again that Ubisoft still bothers with the modern plotline in Assassin's Creed? They could have remade the first game and removed Desmond's storyline, and no one would have oh. batted an
0: eye. Oh, you can't see me, but I'm flipping you off.
2: <laughs> so there's so so here's the here's the thing, and Wheels just demonstrated
0: this quite aptly.
2: <laughs> the casual fans don't care that much about uh, Assassin's Creed's plot because Assassin uh, Assassin's Creed's meta plot. However, the hardcore fans Assassin's way Creed way. fans care way too much about it. <laughs>
1: <Hey>. <laughs> Whoa.
0: Control. Uh,
2: yeah.
1: That's fair, Wheels. That's fair.
0: No, it's not. <laughs> it's not at all.
2: Case in point. Uh, in general, the other issue is that they have lashed themselves to an unresolvable plot. Uh, the games were clearly not... The games were clearly originally this is a like sci-fi future plot that digresses into history and over time, they have rapidly swapped that as they quickly decided that the history plot was more interesting. problem is that by making the historic plot structured the way that they have, it is fundamentally unresolvable, and nothing can ever change or make any significant degree of progress at all. Uh, So now you're running into if we take out any semblance of the future plot, then the enti- every Assassin's Creed is inherently a shaggy dog story. There just isn't enough meat on those bones.
1: They've basically plot locked themselves.
2: Yeah, like the the they are locked down by the fact that the original, like, clear intention was all of these are showing how Desmond ends up resolving or cataclysmically changing the uh the ever pre- the ever ongoing assassin versus Templar conflict that was clearly the original idea that they had. Then they chickened out on that, and so they had to cut Desmond out, and his plot is nonsensical and le- and goes essentially nowhere. But now they still want to keep making these past games, and now they are just lurching back and forth constantly. They can't get rid of the modern plot because, like I said, there's just not a lot there otherwise. Uh, you You can try to give some sort of personal art to the past characters. There's been many attempts to do that to varying degrees of success. But inevitably, that past character has to interact with and essentially resolve their plot around the same plot as the the same meta plot this same stupid growth they can't do anything about and going back and rebooting is not an option it doesn't actually solve anything because then you've pissed off the people that do care about that plot and done essentially nothing for the people that don't so yeah that's that's kind of the uh, Long and short of it, they—they they are locked. They are locked by their lore. There is nothing they can do. <laughs> Any further objections, wheels?
0: Yeah.
2: Eh. <laughs> you sound noncommittal. Do tell.
0: No, I just—I like the modern plot. I like that it, all the games are connect to, connected together in this overarching story involving. Uh,
1: and that's yeah, not I'm a not... bad thing. No. It's just we are we're more concerned about how the company has decided to handle this plot and how it has been taken in a direction that's not probably not very sustainable.
2: Yeah. They are they are eternally in the pursuit of the middle of an art, the illusion of progress towards an ending they will never yeah.
1: The basic or I, mean, I said plot locked, it's basically Saturday morning cartoon show issues with plot.
2: Saturday morning cartoon show, comic book, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, Professional wrestling, anything that has... What's that?
1: Except comic books can reboot more frequently.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, uh, professional wrestling, that sort of thing. Anything that is eternally gesturing at something that you would be able to stare at and say, that's an ending, but it wouldn't, but, you know, the show must go on. And so the ending must always be undercut.
0: Huh. Uh,
2: yeah so that's that's the issue there uh yeah uh it's a sci-fi nerd soap at that stage um okay Let's see uh, I think I can hit one or two more how niche is horror as a game genre Recently, one of my friends pointed out to me that the reason Capcom made so many bad co-op RE games is because mainline RE is expensive to make. It's a horror game, and horror games don't sell that many copies, unless it's a viral game like Five Nights at Freddy's. So we'd rather use RE's assets and name for a few more bucks. It's also why RE5 and 6 are so action-centric instead of being terrifying. Uh, I've, I've said this to many people before, I'll say it again. Resident Evil turned into an action game in Resident Evil. Resident Evil 4 was just making it clear that they admitted it. Uh, and by that, I mean the guy who made Resident Evil, the guy who directed Resident Evil 2 admitted that he doesn't like horror games, uh, that he finds them scary, he doesn't like being scared, so he wanted to focus on the action. And that's why Resident Evil 2 gives you a shotgun upgrade that uh, can blow on- zombies in half and then puts you into a hallway where five of them are moving towards you. So, yeah, uh, Resident Evil not super interested in that sort of, uh, like, that's just kind of how it's always been. Uh, The answer is complicated. Like, they're a big niche. I mean, Resident Evil 7 sold, like, 10 million copies over the course of, like, four years. Like, they're they're a big niche. Uh, Are they niche in general? Like... I mean, if you're focusing more on horror, players typically don't like being disempowered, and a lot of horror involves at least implying that the player has been disempowered. So, I mean, yes, that's not super popular. Is it, like... But, I mean, that's kind of the same with horror movies. Like, they're usually fairly low-budget affairs. They're, like... The horror, the horror genre is the purview of the low budget in the indie uh, because it relies so much on being relatively cheap to produce and being, uh, like, you can you do a lot with a little in horror. So, you know, across games, across movies, like, that's just kind of a fact of how the genre is approached. Uh, but, yeah, in general, players... Like, most players don't like feeling disempowered. So, you end up with the... Uh, and, of course, like, just a natural way to pace out a horror game is to eventually no, you turn around and you blow up the big monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, unless you're fully committed to going the Clock Tower route of making games that's mostly about sort of living the, uh the, playing the horror movie experience of being the one who desperately tries to escape and then the monster ends up getting killed by a combination of happenstance and weird Rube Goldberg devices. Uh You know, it's, it's just not gonna... <laughs> uh, that's a very complicated and strange thing to have to make someone play. <laughs>
0: the in
2: but yeah, I mean, like, you know uh the like fnaf does do a good job of reminding you that there are a lot of ways to approach horror as a genre because horror is not so much a genre as a subject matter and a like theming
1: yeah. uh, i was gonna say um at least for literary genres horror is one of those that is an emotional thematic mm-hmm. so you can overlay it on pretty much anything else and it works i mean yeah. So I mean, you've got like emotional thematic, you've got setting thematic, and you've got um, like big trend thematic, mm. and you can mix and match those to make some really weird combinations. Mm. But they do ma- they do work together um, naturally. I mean, if you want to make a like a science fiction western horror story, you can. Yep. It's been done. Weirdly. Yeah. But weirdly a couple times but yeah I mean usually weirdly but sometimes actually good
2: <laughs> but, yeah uh, yeah it's it's just one of those things like uh, something being an action piece does not even inherently stop it from being a horror piece mm mm-hmm. but yeah uh Speaking of RE Co-op, what is the best asymmetrical co-op game in your opinion? I've just been bored to death by Predator Hunting Grounds. So that really t- dates us to a specific time and place. So that is a game people cared about for about, yeah a week. Uh, asymmetrical co-op games. Usually asymmetrical is in competitive, so... Uh... actually drawing a blank on like really good
1: asymmetrical co-op what would asymmetrical mean in this context just for it just context? means that
2: like your your uh, abilities and
1: capacities are not the same mm-hmm. across players oh so, so like, like team fortress or something uh something like that,
2: but, like, usually when you say say asymmetrical, you're also referring to, like, people working towards different goals. So, like, uh, a few years ago, there was a shooter called Evolve, which was a a asymmetrical multiplayer game where uh, one player was, like, this, like, evolving monster creature that the other four players were trying to hunt down and kill. Okay. And so, like, that's asymmetrical in the sense that both Both teams have, uh, you know, similar but different goals, and uh, both, uh, but like, you know, one of them plays completely differently because one of them is not a man with guns, it's a weird monster creature. Uh, I'm thinking of, like, another one that would be an asymmetrical co-op game, Uh, although it's still competitive because it's hard to do truly asymmetrical uh, pure co-op, but... Uh, the old Splinter Cell games had asymmetrical multiplayer where uh, one team was a set of mercenaries defending a point. They played in first person and had guns and shit and tried to kill people. The other were the spies who tried to sneak in, infiltrate, steal like data and shit and leave, but they didn't have a lot of lethal options. So that was uh, you know, interesting idea. Uh, just in terms of, you know, you give people different goals and different capacities, and that can produce very strange multiplayer scenarios. But I can't think of true asymmetrical co-op. Usually everyone on a team has kind of the same uh, basic capacities. You got anything, whales
0: I can't think of anything, yeah.
2: And the answer is Splinter Cell. We're going to say Splinter Cell. Yeah. <laughs> Question, okay, one more, I think. Uh, Oh, this is going to be something. A question from the left field. Anyone think the history of chips is interesting, as has been clear over the past several years? Yes. Uh, The fact that you can trace the IBM power chips all the way back to the Motorola 68000 and some electronics still use clones of the Zilog Z80 uh, amuses me to know end. Yeah, I mean like it's not just interesting, it's important for understanding why systems end up failing and why they end up succeeding. As it turns out, so much of the history of the industry has been that you don't have to or even necessarily want to be strongest, you want to be easiest to work with. And easiest to work with usually means people are used to working with something that works very simply. So, it's, uh, we, we've seen that time and time again. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting when you look at uh, why certain things sort of die out. Like, the, the power line is built as, like, an alternative series of successors after Motorola kind of gave up on... Uh, iterating on the 68000, there are successor chips to the 68000, 68020, 68030 that are, you know, improvements on that chip, but like they're, they were never as successful, so Motorola kind of sort of gave up on them. And of course, the Z80 is just going to be in everything, because if you just need something to do very simple tasks, it's real cheap to make. Really, really cheap. <laughs> And that's why, uh, I don't know, some sort of, uh, fucking wristwatch from 2010's still gonna technically have similar computing capabilities to a ZX Spectrum. But... But... Yeah, uh... And then, of course, you get the, uh, fun stuff that, uh was very powerful, but has no modern successors because it was uh, too much of a pain in the ass. So, your cell processors or the uh, Silicon Graphics MIPS shit uh, that the uh, N64 uses. You even see this in things that aren't processors, things like different RAM types that have rapidly gone away, uh, so like the... Uh, the N64 and uh, PS2 both use a type of RAM, but I've never seen anything bothered to again. Uh, which was both a combination, which was a combination problem of it turning out to be really inefficient for most tasks, and also for it being uh, like proprietary to a company called Rambus. But RDram was like this weird. Like uh, RAM type that was supposed to make it, it was supposed to be very uh, performant for certain kinds of tasks, but it was uh, because of its proprietary nature, expensive, and also turned out to not actually be that performant. So, uh, kind of just went away after Sony had made the mistake of making uh, using it in the PS2, but. Yeah, those were kind of the only things it was ever really used in, which is fascinating when you think about it. But yeah, uh, and now now basically everything uh, uses uh, some variant of DDR RAM. I think it's like what does DDR stand for? It was something like double data rate synchronous. Dynamic Random Access Memory, that's, that's DDRS RAM. And most everything, like every modern console uses some variant of DDR RAM. Uh, I think, I, have, I need to check what kind of RAM the Switch has. I think it's like low power DDR RAM. Not low power in terms of what it can actually do, but low power in terms of what it draws. Let me double check. Yeah, the Switch uses four gigabytes of LP DDR RAM, which is low power DDR RAM. But yeah, like these, these things, like, you know, you want things that operate in the way you expect them to, even if that's not always the most powerful or efficient way. Uh But yeah, uh, I think with that, I should probably call it quits because I am
0: tired today. Mm.
2: <laughs> Three lives left. So,
0: Sounds good. tell us.
2: Tell us about the world of actual play novels.
0: Oh.
1: <laughs> Alright. Oh. I'm going to say, well. If Okay, well, let's do something more topical then. So if you are enjoying the new Tina's Wonderland game for Borderlands, <laughs> or whatever, if you will, when it comes out, I'm not even sure if it... Is it out yet? Yes. If, so,
0: okay, we'll if you're enjoying that right down. now,
1: um, imagine yourself, what would it be, what it would be like to read a book in a similar style where the players are not... Um, I mean, the player characters are not actually gun-toting murder hobos... Um, and neither are the characters in the game, but they're having a good time anyway. Um, <laughs> so, um, despite some some particular players having a lower wisdom score than their own characters at times.
2: That's always a hard uh, character to play, isn't it?
1: <laughs> uh, oh, no, I mean, like, there's one episode where the player had a lower wisdom score than her character, and the character had a lower wisdom score than her own horse. Um... <laughs> this led to some Certainly. dire consequences in the episode <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah so we have uh, nine episodes two side quests and a paralogue so far still waiting on the cover art for the next three um, hope to get them eventually mm. but um, yeah there's a, there's a whole lot to read so if you just enjoy tabletop RPGs if you like reading about them if you like experiencing a vicarious thrill through other people's bad social decisions Uh, Then we have a nice book series for you, uh, Princesses of the Pizza Parlor on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited by Michael Yarimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U. Just because, you know what, my own name is impossible to Google. I can't even find myself an RP gamer half the time. (laughs) Uh, No, I'm I'm serious. I used to try and find, try to look up Japanemonium um, um, old Japanemonium columns, and I could not find it with my name. I couldn't Jeez, Trouble- Apparently somebody put out a, a, an album called Japan demonium, like 15 years ago. And it keeps messing <laughs> up all of the searches I ever do for the old website. Um, Still. Yeah. Okay. Getting way off track here, but uh, yeah. So um, read, enjoy, uh, leave a comment uh, or a review on Amazon or just, or stars or anything. Just let me know what you think, because I don't get enough feedback on these things. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Uh, what else? What you got? Uh, you can catch me
0: on my Twitch channel twitch.tv slash askwheels Usually doing non-RPG stuff there On RPG stuff we do q quests Wednesday nights on the RPGamer Twitch channel and shenanigans on Sunday uh, Last week it was Persona 4 Arena it's a lot of fun. Um, good. We have a vacation coming up, so. Um, what was this? This is episode 252. Uh, yeah. After 253, there will be a week off. And we're going to miss at least one shenanigans in the meantime, there, so. Uh, yeah. So you should check that out. It's a lot of fun. You know, at. Lots of people drop by and uh, join in shenanigans. It's a lot of fun. Yes, um, for other things, I'm trying to run a Vault of Glass in Destiny 2 at some point, which I plan on streaming, so let's keep an eye out for that. That should be fun. That's
2: mm-hmm. it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah, um... Yeah, uh, as for me, uh, I already made it clear that I'm going dot-hack-crazy. It's time to make some crazy money.
0: Here we go, no.
2: Um... But yeah, uh... That sound like
0: a regular dot-hack hack.
2: I'm not even sure that counts as a joke. Oh,
0: shut up, now. It was terrible.
2: Didn't really make a whole lot of sense, but whatever. You're a hack uh,
0: about that hack.
2: Yeah, but I'm, that being a hack would imply that I don't know what I'm talking about. All
0: right, fine. Continue. Continue.
2: In any case, yeah, those will hopefully be going up. A lot of them might end up being like oh, audio posts because trying to write this down will somehow produce more tangents than if I just like write a vague script from a, like a vague set of talking points and can stick to those. We'll see. Point is, those will be going up. Uh, there, there will probably be at least five of those over the course of the next few weeks or months, and pro- possibly many more than that. We'll see. <laughs> I don't think anyone actually ever needs to think about Legend of the Twilight again, but maybe I'll talk about it then, just because I can. Um. Hmm but will you tell yeah, us all that'll... about
0: the PSP game?
2: Twilight Nights? That game's not very good. It's mostly a fan service game. Whatever, I'll get into it. I'll talk about that and .hack Fragment. You've never played .hack Fragment because .hack Fragment is the thing where they pretended that they made an actual MMO. <laughs> <laughs> and the joke about it is that it's... Named after the in-game beta name of the world. <laughs> okay, now the, this, this, and other misery is what you can expect if you go to patreoncom study and contribute to that, or don't even bother contribute it, just reading. But yeah, uh, yeah, fragment. That was a weird thing. Like anyone who had played heck knew that it would not actually make a good online RPG. There just wasn't enough there, but they sure sold you that. Hmm? <laughs> Whatever. Point is, um, uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. If, if you want to read that, go ahead. There's a bunch of old stuff there that's very pontificating and chin stroking. And that will not go away anytime soon. Uh, chin stroking will continue until morale improves. Um, but let's see. Otherwise. Uh, oh yeah um you can ask us questions you can ask us questions uh like uh dear friend Budai did in the chat uh which we usually stream every Wednesday, other than one one that we're going to skip because we also will be out uh we usually stream every wednesday at about uh 9 p.m pacific midnight eastern uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or you can ask us questions question in the podcast section of Discord. It's a uh, place that you should join whether you want to ask us questions or not. You can join it by going to rpg.com, clicking the Community tab. That'll get you the Discord invite link. A lot of people, uh, a lot of wonderful people to discuss your favorite RPGs or non-RPGs. Whatever else you want to talk about. There are places to discuss a lot of different things. But yeah, Lovely community, totally worth uh, uh, joining. And, of course, you can also ask us questions in the uh, comments section under this very episode on rpgamer.com. Uh, we do not yet take questions through iTunes reviews. Hopefully no one has ever attempted that. But, uh, yeah, uh, the comment section under this very episode on uh, rpgamer.com is also a great place to ask questions. We always check the last few episodes to make sure we're not missing anything. But yeah, any of those vectors are a great place to ask us questions. We always appreciate them. Uh, a thousand thanks to uh, Budai and Fireminer for this week's questions. Can't do it without y'all. But otherwise, I'll see you, Space Cowboys. See ya.